If you're just now joining us online, we appreciate that. Um, Josie wasn't able to be here last week, but she watched online. She came in this morning and said, I listened to the sermon and I'm praying for myself now. And I thought, praise the Lord, somebody's listening. So uh, that's exciting when, when, uh, when you get those kind of feedback and results. So, you know, if you're listening at home, please do something with this message this morning, whatever God convicts you of. Um, and that'll be great rejoicing for all of us. I'm glad you're here and joining us that way. If that's uh, uh, the way that you can do that this morning. Continuing to talk about prayer is where we're at. Um, hindrances to prayer. I was going to do them all this morning, but I think I'm going to do them in a couple of uh, parts because it's a little more in detail. Uh, I think that uh, I would like to hit, hit these things than just a, a quick perusery of them. So we're just going to do a couple this morning. You know, as, as we've already talked about, so I won't belabor this much at all. One of the things you, you have to do just to begin with is decide that prayer is something that's going to be a priority in your life and something you're going to do and make the time to do it and then just do it, right? I mean, it all really begins there. There are a lot of things that can keep us from ever even really engaging in the activity of prayer at all. It's amazing how our schedules can get full and they can get very busy, filled with stuff that in the end we're doing that doesn't count as much as prayer. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I feel guilty if I'm watching TV and I didn't pray that morning. It's like there's a better use of this time. And probably if I was smart at all, I would be watching TV thinking there's still a better use of this time, even though I prayed this morning, right? Um, but I get addicted to that stuff. Uh, but just the busyness and the things that we choose to fill our life with can really mess with us sometimes and keep us from the things that are really urgent and good and important. Lack of self-discipline is a part of this as well. And we get there and we start to pray and things don't go as we want. Uh, I think it was Ballard that said last week he has ADD prayer life. Yeah, we all feel that way at times, you know, uh, where you just can't seem to stay on track and you have to persevere through that sometimes. Uh, failure to prioritize prayers, another thing that can keep us from uh, just uh, investing in it um, more than a perusery kind of thing. Prayer is, once you, if you can get past all of this and maybe wrong mindsets toward prayer, and we've talked about that, but if you can get to all of this and get to the prayer time, that doesn't mean that you win either, does it? This is not like the new sports model where when you show up, you get a trophy, Okay. There needs to be, Croy didn't say anything there. He's usually got lots to say about the new sports model, you know. Um, he and I both agree that uh, you lose, you lose, you know. Uh, you get a second place trophy, like they say, that's second loser, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, first loser, there you go. I guess the third place would be second loser, right? Yeah, there you go. You can show up at prayer and be the first loser, can't you? You ever done that? I mean, you walk away from your prayer time and say, well, that was a good daydreaming session. Or, uh, you know, you never really uh, went through the things in your prayer book and you had it right in front of you. And you, all you did was let the cares of the world come in and just totally destroy it. Or you prayed and prayed and prayed and maybe actually talked to God and didn't feel like it was getting any higher than the ceiling. What's going on in those moments? Well, there are some hindrances of prayer that we need to know about things that can shut our prayer life down even if we show up. First of all, I like to look at, I think, um, one that's easily dealt with, but one that probably is a biggie, 
in keeping our prayer lives from being as, as successful as they need to be. And that is known sin in the heart. Known sin in your heart will hinder prayer. In Psalm 66, 18, it says, If I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord will not listen. But God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. Uh, the implication there is that he didn't cherish sin in his heart. And so because he didn't do that, the Lord heard the prayers that were offered up. Jenny Hamby was the one who put me onto this verse years ago. She said she hated it. She said it was the worst verse in all the Bible. You know, um, you can understand why. And I, I, I used to look at Jenny and say, okay, if you hate this verse because somehow it's affecting your prayer life, then I'm really in trouble. Because Jenny was one of those that, You'd been hard pressed to find a list of cherished sin in her heart. I, so I thought, now, well, maybe some things are going on there between her and the Lord that mm, the rest of us don't know about, right? So when we're addressing God, I think one of the things that we need to do is to consider things in detail because God is a God of detail. And those things that are maybe breaches of fellowship between us and him, cherished sin in the heart somewhere, can really be something that will impede our prayer life. David said it this way in Psalms 139, 23. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now we know that verse. We've heard it a million times and you just heard it again and it went woo, right? But let's take it a little bit and slow it down and listen to it. If you started there, search me, O God. And then know my heart, right? You cherish sin in the heart. Know my heart, Lord. Where is it that I'm cherishing something that I shouldn't be cherishing here? Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. <laughs> and then deal with that. If God shows you those things, repent. Ask him to forgive. And do what? The last part of the verse. Lead me in the way everlasting. Get up from that moment and start walking in the ways of the Heavenly Father. If you slow down and think about that verse, mm, it gives us some, uh, some kind of introspection into uh, our heart and our motives that we really need to deal with whenever we come to a time of prayer with the Lord. Could you cherish sin in your heart so much that... Uh, you would uh, see how that could be an impediment to um, the relationship between you and the Heavenly Father so that prayer wouldn't really be as effective as it should be. If you're cherishing sin in your heart and you know that, and when you go to the Lord, what is it you often hear Him say? Ah, you know, Rose, let's deal with this. And what does Rose say? No, no, that's not it. I came to pray for this guy today. Uh, you know, Luann, we really need to deal with this right here, right? He said, no, Lord, that's not what I'm here for today. I'm just looking for my daily bread, right? And we wonder why our prayer doesn't get where it needs to be. Uh, I think we need to start somewhere in this place of introspection when we go into the presence of the Heavenly Father. In Proverbs 15, 8, it says this, the Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him. The prayer of the upright pleases him. You know, in the New Testament, it says if you come to worship and you got something against your brother, you need to fix that before you come to worship. You're not going to be able to do that effectively. You're not going to be able to do what you need to do. You need to, to get that right. And here the Lord is saying, I'm detesting your sacrifices 
the sacrifice of the wicked, what's going on here in your worship? He said, I detest that. But he says on the other side of that, the prayer, though, of the upright pleases him. Now, do you want your prayer life to please him? Let's be careful here because our best attempts at self-righteousness are really nothing but filthy rags, aren't they? When brought into the light of God's holiness, whatever we do that we think may make us righteous is not what he's talking about here. We need a righteousness that comes by faith. In the scripture, it says in Hebrews eleven six, it says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And the goal here is prayer of the upright that pleases God. So the prayer of the upright has to be a prayer that involves faith, would it not? If without faith, it is impossible to please God. Therefore, we're to live a life of humility, of faith and love toward God, toward our fellow man with compassion. And that will put us in a place to be able to walk in obedience to what is the will of God, the way of God. Then that puts us in a place where our prayers can be in a pleasing aroma to the Heavenly Father. This is not about self-righteousness. There is a responsibility that we have in resisting the devil, submitting to God. We talked about that this morning. That is our place in this process. But that doesn't produce a righteousness in us that is self-righteousness. We still always have to stand in the righteousness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because even at our best, we're still stuck with filthy rags. But in faith, if we walk in this place in obedience to his will, then we're in a place where our prayers are not going to be impeded, but in fact can become something that pleased the Heavenly Father. I love it when my kids talk to me. But sometimes there's so much distance between you and a family member that you couldn't talk anyway, right? And they're really, if you ever had that conversation where you walked away and there was nothing pleasing about it, we don't want to have that conversation with the Heavenly Father. In Proverbs 15, 29, it says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer again of the righteous. This only works if you see righteousness as we have defined it already above, not a self-righteousness. In Proverbs 28, 9, it says, If anyone turns a deaf ear to the law, even his prayers are detestable. Our prayers are never going to line up well with the will of God if we're ignoring the word of God. Would you agree? That's what he's saying. Don't turn a deaf ear to that law. In Isaiah 1 and 12, it says this, when you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling, vain trampling of my court? Stop bringing these meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me, your feast of new moons and Sabbaths and convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. He's calling their worship evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your uh, appointed feast, my soul hates. Wouldn't you love that if God looked down upon our worship and said, wow, I hate what you're doing in worship. This is detestable to me. It's an evil assembly. My soul hates this. Wow. That's a bad place to be. God says, this is a burden to me. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I'm going to hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I'm not going to listen. Your hands are full of blood. 
Wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Does that sound like the verse I read at the beginning? If you cherish sin in your heart, the Lord will not listen to your prayers. God will surely listen though. And he surely heard the voice of this man's prayer because he was not in that position. Seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. And look at this, this gets to the heart of it again. God says, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. There's an acknowledgement of dealing with sin that they weren't doing in all of these festivals. And that was what it was about. To understand and see the forgiveness that God wanted to give. And God, I mean... But they all foreshadowed what we have in Christ Jesus, which is this incredible forgiveness of sin. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be as wool. Could you pray from that position? If the Lord did that kind of healing and transformation in your life, it's a good place to start, isn't it? If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land again, if you are willing. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. The life lived reflects the heart and the mind behind it. Thus the need for a reasoning together, it would seem in this case, the Lord was very concerned about the sins of the people. He wanted to give forgiveness and restoration here. It's the humble heart, the heart of faith that is in that place on the right path to be able to receive those things and turn around and to offer a prayer that is heard. Why are our prayers not heard? Sometimes it's because we're harboring sin in our hearts. In John 9 and 31 and the words of man healed by the Lord says, we know that God does not listen to sinners. He doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Motives also matter in this process. James 1 and 4 says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something and you don't get it. You kill and you covet. Right in line with what we've been talking about. But you cannot have what you want you quarrel and you fight. And you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Motives matter. In Romans eight twenty six, he says this, in the same way, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that words cannot express. Does that sound like a person to you who's out of sync with the will and the way of the Lord? Does that sound like a person who's walking in pride and arrogance or one who's walking in humility, walking in the word, seeking to see the kingdom come, his will be done here on earth as it is in heaven and unable to express what he's feeling in his heart? Because God's ways are so far above ours ways that we can't even get into them, but our heart is causing us and calling us to that. And he who searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will, he'll be there with us, helping us in those moments. And prayer becomes something of a different picture at that point, doesn't it? 
There is a humble approach here, isn't there? Here's another one. And these two is all we're going to deal with. We're running out of time. An unharmonious relationship between husband and a wife will hinder your prayers. I love these little ones that you just don't anticipate, don't you? The ones that sneak up that you're not expecting. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and heirs with you of the gracious gifts of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. The beautiful part of this is it, 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 at least it explains some things. I understand that in a great part, my terrible prayer life is really not my fault. It's my wife's, right? <laughs> oh, we'd like to do that, wouldn't we? Why does this work? How does this work? What's going on here? If you've been reading along with the, the study that we've been doing in Deuteronomy, you're going to see that God puts a lot of stock in the marriage relationship. Have you noticed that? There's a lot in there in these last weeks about all of these rules uh, that have to do with the marriage relationship. And, you know, I guess I have a simple mind, but if you just lock into this, one man, one woman, one lifetime. You don't really need all those rules, do you? I mean, if that's what your go-to is and you lock into that, guess what? You don't have all these other questions. Well, what do you do here? You got this in-law and that outlaw and this going on and this going on and that going on and all of these, you know, Little nitpicky things because what's going on here? If we just stuck with the big rule, one man, one woman, one lifetime, we wouldn't need all that. I, I just, but, but what's going on? Well, we know what's going on. The problem is that mankind has uh, evil hearts. And because of the evil hardness of our hearts, God has to give all this explanation when things fall apart for us. Matthew 19, 3, let's go there and read. It says, the Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying unto him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for any cause? Well, of course it is. Burn the coffee. Nobody cares. Get rid of her, right? And he answered and said unto them, have you not read that? That was sarcasm for those of you at home who are not used to my preaching, all right? And he answered and he said unto them, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. Now, I guess we haven't heard that yet. And said, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Wherefore, what God has put together has... Let me do Wherefore, they are no more two... But one flesh, therefore, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And so they said to him, well, then why did Moses then command and give a written divorce and put away your wife? Why did he make allowance for that? And Jesus says, because Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the, from the beginning, it was not so. Again, one man, one woman from one lifetime, 
complications are over. But because of the hardness of your heart, Moses gave you this allowance. Well, the scripture has a lot to say about divorce. But if you really want to get God's heart on it, you can just go right straight to Malachi 2.13. And this one usually will clear the house in America. And, you know, if your church is getting too big, just preach on this one. You can cut it in half. And if that doesn't do it, it's still too big, try Hebrews 6. That'll get it too, you know. You know, I've always been a lazy pastor. They said you could only handle about 125 max people that you could minister to in a church statistically back when I was in school. If you had five kids, that dropped to about 80. So anytime I got up to 125, I just preach on one of these passages and get it manageable again. It works. Malachi 2.13, another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears, you weep and you wail. Because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why is this? Why? It's because the Lord is acting as a witness between you and the wife of your youth. Because you have broken faith with her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not God made them one in flesh and in spirit? They are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. We get much more clear than that, does it? We have prayers of weeping and wailing here and offerings being offered up and there is no response from God. Why? Because they have broken faith with the wife of their youth, the wife of their marriage covenant. No longer one in flesh, no longer one in spirit. I don't know about you, but my experience has been personally that when I'm out of sync with my wife, my prayer life really struggles. When I'm out of sync with my wife, everything kind of falls apart. You know, the old saying, when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, you know? There's a lot of truth in that from a spiritual perspective, how it affects our lives. I, I see a lot of biblical truth here in Proverbs 18.22. It says, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. I don't know a truer mess, tra testimony in scripture than that. Do you? That's a good thing. In Proverbs 31, 10, it says a wife of noble character who can find she's worth more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her, lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm all the days of her life. So how is it that the marriage relationship here as we're looking at prayer can become such an albatross to us? Well, it's really simple. If you go to the pages of scripture and you look at how marriage is to come together and how it is to fall together and the impact that it is to have upon our lives, it's to be something that is good, right? If you look at the pages of scripture, we're told that if you want this treasure, I think there's some things outlined. God says you got to marry someone who has a relationship with God. He expects us to marry in the faith. He expects us to um, not be unequally yoked with non-believers. You mess this up and you're going to be in trouble. You really need to be sure 
that you're marrying a believer. If you don't, to have the kind of expectation of having a great prayer life, men, <laughs> uh, you're going to be you're going to be challenged in that, not to say that it can't happen because uh, you can take some Corinthian passages and, and some of Paul's writings and know and understand about staying in that place that God called you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you as a young person or seeking a spouse, seeking a mate, and yet you willingly walk into a relationship with a person who's a non-believer. And you're expecting all kinds of wonderful blessings out of that. Yeah, that's what we say. Oh, I'm going to change you. I'm going to change her. It's just not that hard, is it? Well, it, it is. I mean, there's a lot of people who will claim to be Christians, but they really don't have a faith relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you a Christian? Yeah. Well, what's that based on? What does it look like? Does it look like... You've embraced the work of the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive your sins. That you've let him be the agent to restore you to fellowship with the heavenly father by faith and repentance. Are you doing all that you can to walk in the will of the way of the Lord and to follow him as your now new Lord and Savior? Is that what we're talking about? Or is it somebody that says, yeah, I walked an aisle when I was in preschool and I was baptism, baptized, sprinkled at my catechism. I'm a Christian and they don't know anything and have anything personal going on with the Lord Jesus Christ and know nothing about what it is to step into the redemption and the freedom that is ours in Christ Jesus through repentance and faith. It would bear... Wouldn't it? Seeking and looking into a little bit to see if the person that you're going to spend the rest of their life with has a testimony about where they're at with the living Lord. It's amazing to me how many kids through the years you talk to them and, you know, they've got somebody on the line that they're dating and looking at and they're thinking, boy, this is the one. And uh, even put a ring on their finger sometimes. And we're engaged and getting married. And you say, well, are they a Christian? And they say, well, I don't know. How can you get there? How can you be even, even dating anyone for two minutes that you don't believe absolutely loves the Lord Jesus Christ? And you're expecting this to work out great for you. You know, at some point, if we just put the pieces together the way he's called us to in Scripture... We could avoid a whole lot of heartache down the road. The second thing that I see in the word of God that we need to do, stepping into this, finding that person of a noble character, is to look for someone of the opposite sex. You're going, oh, yeah, I know. Oh. Well, it's not funny because that's the day and age we live in. People are just so caught up in the devil's lies that they don't even understand that marriage since the beginning of time has been male and female. And maybe they understand that they're just so hardened in their ways of rejecting God that they've just completely bought the lies of the enemy and sold their soul to the devil. It's a dangerous place to be in and they need the truth of God to walk out of that. 
But marriage is between husband and wife. It's between male and female. You cannot read the pages of this book and not know that marriage always has been between a male and a female. That's the way it is. You say, well, I don't believe that book. Well, you don't have any common sense either. Let me put together your herd for you. And I'll give you all bulls and I'll take males and females. Let's see who has a herd in 10 years. Come on, people. We can't even get that right. That's pretty easy. Okay. So what are we up to now? Two things that we've talked about in scripture. He says, do this, do this. Marry somebody who loves the Lord. And for Pete's sake, marry somebody of the opposite sex. Is that not a pretty good start? Okay, and the third one, there's one more thing in Scripture that I see taught if you want to get a right start. And people argue with me on that one, on this next one. That's okay, you can argue with me. You're just wrong, okay? <laughs> As you look at the Old Testament and you read, do you not see that the Father had a really big role in seeing that his daughter married the right person? Do you see that? You've been reading it through. You've seen it. Man, he could put the brakes on things like nobody else could, couldn't he? And if you go to the New Testament and you read there, it says in Ephesians 6, 1, children, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. It says, honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Most parents that I know, I've, I've met a lot of parents and most of them, when it comes to the marriage altar and their kids getting married, they look for the absolute worst person they can find for their daughter to marry. They're looking for that drug addict. You know, if he's homeless, that's even better. You know, uh, you know, they want that. They want that, that, uh, that person that beats his wife, you know, that, that way that kid can have a happy marriage, right? Oh, it just sounds stupid, doesn't it? Because it is stupid. What are we looking for for our, for our kids? Man, if you're a parent and you don't want the best for your kids, there's something wrong with you. And you know what? Your vision as a parent is not so clouded as your kids may be sometimes because they get all tripped up in the things of the world. You know, they see somebody and their little heart goes twitter-pated. I see him and go, he needs to die, you know. <laughs> This is a truth that I've experienced in my life. I have known lots and lots and lots of marriages that failed and they did not have the blessing of the parents. Either set of parents. And some of them would have the blessing of one parent, but not the blessings of the other parents. But those times that you get the blessing of the parents without reservation at all, I mean, no reservation. There are sometimes a parent will give a blessing because they know they're going to get married anyway. I'm not talking about that one. And I told myself I wasn't going to do that. I said, if the kids walk down the aisle and I'm not for this, they're going to know about it. It's going to be on them. And I prayed about it to be sure I could give that blessing. And there were some times I told, a couple of times, I told daughters, that's a zero. That guy doesn't work. I'm not walking you down the aisle and I'm not doing that service. 
You can call a Lutheran in to do it or go to the justice of the peace. That's a no-brainer. The guy doesn't even know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I don't even understand why you're wasting your time here. Well, Dad, I'm just having fun. That ain't the right kind of fun. <clears throat> True story. She nixed him. Thank you, God. Came out pretty good. Found one I could bless. Found one mama could bless. Found two parents on the other side that could bless it as well. Someone that your folks can bless. Oh man, Rick, I can't do that. If I followed that, that would li that would that would limit my choices to what? About sixty billion. Isn't that where we live? Well, if I do that, then I might not get what I want. No, you might get what God wants. It might be a whole lot better, right? And I am telling you, when you get to that place in your life that you're looking for a spouse, the devil knows it's a great way to trip you up. Isn't it amazing that if people are going to go through a rebellious stage, they all do it right before they get married to some idiot, right? Listen, if you got a tattoo yesterday in rebellion, don't be thinking marriage, all right? Notice I said in rebellion. I'm not saying tattoos are wrong. I may get one of a chicken someday, okay? <laughs> uh, don't say that. Jess has been trying to put a honeybee on me for years. Uh, yeah. If it wasn't for the pain, I might, I might capitulate. But yeah, small one on my nose, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? If you're in that place of rebellion, man, that's not the place. If you're out of sync and fellowship with God, that's not the place you want to be looking for a mate. That's crazy. Okay, so let's just put all this together. If I did all that right, then it's reasonable to think that I'm in a relationship that now what happens? Instead of that wife hindering my prayer, she becomes my greatest prayer partner. She becomes my greatest prayer support, my greatest prayer warrior. I mean, things change dramatically at that point. And the unity of the flesh and the unity of the spirit as they're walking with the things of the Lord produces something that is absolutely phenomenal. And to walk into that with Christ Jesus, as so many of us have, and then let that fall apart. Can you not understand why the Lord would say, what's going on? I don't want to hear your prayers. I want you to fix that at home. Because I care about your kids. You know what? And I want them to know me and to love me and to follow me. So you know what? Let's fix that first before we deal with whatever it is you're talking about right here. You can hinder your prayer life. If you don't have that right relationship with your wife. Literally, he says, you treat her with gentleness and kindness as the weaker vessel. Vessel refers to uh, the physical makeup. How many of you, your wife could beat you up? Like besides the Rushmers, I'm pretty sure Carrie could take Jamie. <laughs> it, 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 the weaker vessel. Listen, you have to be strong enough to be gentle with your children. It's the same thing with your wife. There was a day and age I quit wrestling with my kids because I couldn't do it anymore without possibly hurting them. They were too big. 
So we stopped. Interesting, in the course of marriage, all of my kids getting married, I had two times that one of those spouses had hurt their wife physically. You know how kids wrestle when they're playing? You know, and you do that before your marriage. You know how you pull hair and poke and all that kind of stupid stuff? Well, I had two of them that ended up hurting their spouses. And when they thought, and I told them, I told them right there at the table, every one of them, when they got married, you hurt her, I'll kill you, okay? You hit her, you're dead. And if I can't do it, I have people who will get it done and I'll be in prison. Doesn't matter, okay? And so they called with fear and intrepidation. They were trying to hide it. And I said, okay, look, I know what's going on. Stop it. You're, you're married now. You don't have to wrestle like a couple of seventh graders. Quit that nonsense. And then I have a little talk with the guys and say, you're too strong for that. You're not strong enough to be gentle. You have to operate a different way. We do it with our kids. We do it with our wives. We do it emotionally. We do it spiritually. We have to be gentle. We talked about that this morning in great detail in our Bible study. We argued about it in our Bible study in great detail this morning. Specifically, the weaker vessel, not spiritually. Most of us can't keep up with our wives spiritually. But there is a way that we are to treat them and a way that we are to love them and a way that we are to cherish them. And that word cherish is huge. That we'll only be able to do if we're listening and loving the Heavenly Father. And as he said in the Bible study this morning, Neil gave him a choice. If you could have a man with strong masculinity or kindness, which would you choose, ladies? Every time. Kindness. How are we going to deal with our spouses, men? You go to pray, you can't pray, prayers can't get any higher than the ceiling. Ask yourself about your relationship with your wife. Because if you married right, like I said in that passage of Scripture, from the Bible in those passages of Scripture, if you did that, you are without excuse if your marriage falls apart. You say, Rick, you can't say that. Yes, I can. If two people are doing what they can to love and to meet and to follow the will and way of the Lord Jesus in their life, then they're headed toward God. And that by necessity is going to bring them closer and closer together because they're going at the same place, the same direction. And along the way, you're going to have to practice the forgiveness that you've been given and you're going to get closer and closer and closer together. It works that way. And you are without excuse if you're not moving in that direction as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a whole three other sermons that I probably should preach on this because of the hardness of our hearts that Moses talked about going to Corinthians and a lot of other things to bring in a million questions that a lot of you are asking who aren't in that perfect situation. I'm already 10 minutes over. I realize that this is, the, this is the model. What I mean by the model, one man, one woman, one lifetime, getting together the way God has called them to get together, moving forward in a relationship the way he wants them to move forward. 
the kind of love that's going on in that relationship, the kind of connection in spirit and in flesh that's taking place so that your prayers are not hindered, but in fact, you are each other's greatest prayer assets besides the Holy Spirit. You got that? Maybe your prayers are being hindered for that reason. Okay, that's two. We'll, we've got four more to go through. We'll look at a couple more next week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here, the opportunity to look into your word, to think about what you have laid out for us. That sounds so inviting. Lord, we really want it the way you have laid it out in scripture. It sounds like a place we want to be, and yet we put the brakes on so often. Rejecting a model that if we could just follow it, if we would just follow it, it would be so simple and work so well. And yet we confuse and complicate our lives. We can't control anybody else, Lord, but we can control ourselves. And so I pray that in this process, we would remove those barriers where to our prayer life where we have caused it because we have harbored sin in our heart and where we have caused it because we have not been to our spouses what you have asked us to be. And that's all we can do, Lord. And we trust your Holy Spirit, Lord, in process to make groanings for us in ways that we cannot even express as we move into this, this process with humility and repentance and faith, looking not to our own righteousness, but the righteousness of which we have been clothed in Christ Jesus. Let us keep it simple. Let's keep it in faith. Let us cherish, Lord, those people you put in our life that are so significant. They are precious gifts. And we thank you most for Jesus and the salvation that is ours and the hope that is ours in those eternal things that draws us closer and closer together every day of our life. We commit it to you now, Lord. We want to be sensitive to the voice of your Holy Spirit. We want to walk in faith and truth into that next step in our lives for the glory of your kingdom that it might be your kingdom come, your will being done right here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.